I'm going to keep, hey, there we go, all right, hey, it was shorter than last time, so, you know, it's all good. <clears throat> I want to start you out with a, a question tonight, just get you thinking, why are we here? Why are we gathered in this church in Brookside, Alabama on a Wednesday night? It's beautiful weather. I'm sure that somewhere there's a sporting event going on. There's restaurants that have great food. There are all manners of places that we could be tonight, but we are here. You have chosen to be here. I would tell you that God has chosen for you to be here. Why does this church exist? Why does Sharon Heights exist? You know, my wife and I are new here, so I will admit I don't know the history of this church as well as I'm sure some of you do, but it I do know that at some point in history past, this church was founded. A group of Christians got together and started worshiping the Lord here. I don't know any other details than that, but I do know that at one point that happened. And so often for those of us who grew up in church, church has always been a reality. I was fortunate enough to be able to grow up in church. I don't really remember a time where I wasn't in church. And I never really, I didn't really stop to think about how I got there. You just did it. That's probably the same for most of you. But tonight I want to take you through a passage in 1 Peter. It's going to show us that we are a creation of God himself. The church is not here by accident. It is not just a random gathering of people. It is, in fact, created by God for God. So if you got a copy of God's Word, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're looking at verses 4 through 10. I'll give you some background as you're turning there. In this passage, Peter is speaking, in this letter, rather, Peter is speaking to Christians who are in exile. They are fleeing persecution. They have been spread all over the world. And they're facing hard times. They're facing death, persecution, and all manner of things that we are fortunate enough that we just probably have not had to experience here. And Peter is writing this letter to them to remind them who they are, to remind them who they belong to, and to remind them to be faithful to the God who saved them. And so while we may not face those same trials, I'm convinced that we also need to be reminded why we're here. We need to be reminded who we are. We need to be reminded whose we are so that we can make a difference in the world around us. So we're going to read 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so tonight, 
just want to walk through a few points that I we can gain from this passage. First, we are people who have been united to Christ. This passage starts, verse 4, you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, in reference to Christ. And then look at how Peter describes the church. He says, you yourselves like what? Like living stones. So just like Christ, we are living stones. God is the builder. God has chosen Christ to bring about salvation, to bring about salvation for his people, to bring about the salvation of this world. And he has called us to model him, to reflect him, to share him to the world around us. He says that we are being built up as a spiritual house. We are to be a holy priesthood. I want to pause and kind of look at how these these words are written, that you are being built up. You are not building. You are being built. You think about a stone. Stones don't move. My little girl was watching Frozen earlier, and there are stones in that movie that move, and they talk, and they dance, and they sing. It's cute and weird all at the same time. But stones in real life, away from Disney movies, they don't move. I'm not a builder. I'm not in construction. It's probably pretty obvious. But I do know that stones do not get up and move. But there is a builder. There are builders who move stones. And our builder is our father. He is building us up into a spiritual house. If you look back to the Old Testament, if you remember, God's people had a temple. They would physically go to a temple and they would worship God. They would offer sacrifices. The New Testament makes it clear that that temple now... After Christ, it's us. You want to know where the Spirit of God dwells? He's here. He's in you. He's in me. He's in us as a people. God's Spirit dwells with the church now. Not in this building. Not in this building in Brookside, Alabama. But in you. And the people that he has called to himself. He has called us to be a holy priesthood. What it means to be holy think sometimes we've we've lost sight of that word we live in a culture that is anything but holy from entertainment to our politicians to our you know even as a member of the media i'll say our media as well we we live in a culture that that really does not value being holy and being set apart for god but god has called us to be set apart he has called us when he calls us to be holy He calls us to reflect his character. And again, he is doing that in us. I want you tonight to remember that the call to be holy for you as a Christian is just as much about what God is already doing in you as what you are doing for yourself. The call for you to be more like Jesus, yes, you ought to pursue Christ. You ought to dive into God's word. You ought to flee sin. You ought to hate sin. But I want you to remember from God's word tonight, he is making you holy. God is not standing on the banks of a river telling you to swim faster and try harder. He is with you in the water. He is bringing you to him. He has already brought you to him, and he is bringing you closer to Jesus. We are called to worship him. We are called to be a priesthood. We believe believe that the Bible teaches the priesthood of all believers individually. That means that While Jesse is the pastor here at Sharon Heights, he has no more access to God than you do. He has certain gifts and callings upon his life 
equip him to be in this pulpit on Sundays. But he is not any closer to God because of his title than you are. We have been equipped as believers in Jesus. The veil has been torn to approach the throne of God. And corporately, what does that mean for us as a church body? The church is a priesthood. It means that we can go to God. It means that we can pray to our God together. It means we are to do his will. Again, so much of this passage is drawn from the Old Testament. You think back to the role of priests in the Old Testament and you remember that for you could list a laundry list of the things they did, but it all boiled down to one thing. They were doing the will of God. They were being obedient to God and they were representing him to the people that saw them. Is that not our role today as the church? To discern what is the good and perfect will of God for us at Sharon Heights, for us in our personal lives, to do that and reflect that to the world around us. Peter goes on to reference some other Old Testament passages, this one from Isaiah, that behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We realize that he is, once again, he is referring to Jesus there. The honor is for you who believe. Do you consider it an honor to believe in Christ? You see the gift that God has given you. That he has laid Christ as the cornerstone. We sing a song. He is the cornerstone. Right here in, in this passage in the Old Testament, we see that there are times, there, there are people who will stumble over that stone. They will not worship him. They will stumble over him. Peter even says they were destined to do. And we could have a whole other conversation about what all that means. But suffice it to say that there are people who will not be saved. There are people who will, for one reason or another, they will reject Christ. They will, they will trip over that cornerstone. But you, sitting here tonight, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you have the honor of believing in Him. You have been chosen by God to believe in Christ. Do you realize that on a daily basis when you wake up, it should be the first thing on our minds, on my mind. I can tell you it's not most days. That it is an honor because I get to wake up knowing that God has given me faith to trust in Christ. To look to Him and say, He is mine and I am His. And while Peter doesn't explicitly say this in this passage, probably because his audience already knows it, one of the other ways that we know that we are like Christ, the other way in which we are united to Christ, if you go all the way back to verse 4, Peter says that Jesus, this living stone, was rejected by men. Peter doesn't have to tell this crowd that they will be rejected. They are fleeing persecution. They understand full well. If Peter had told them that, they're looking at him going, yeah, Peter, wait. Got that, buddy. We figured that one out a long time ago when they set our town on fire and tried to kill our family. They know. They know that we will also be rejected, Jesus himself tells us, to expect persecution. In our churches today, I'm afraid, especially in the West, we aren't afraid of persecution of people coming and bombing our churches and killing our pastors and killing our families. And I'm grateful to God that we aren't. But I fear that too often what we do fear is the loss of Acceptance, 
we fear not being, for lack of a better phrase, culturally relevant. We fear not being cool. We fear not fitting in. And because of that, we, we do everything we can to avoid rejection. I'm not saying that you should go out and be a jerk and be rejected because you're a mean person. That's, that's not good. But when we preach the gospel, when we preach God's word, some of it's just not going to be very popular. Some of it's just, it's, it's going to rub people the wrong way. There, it does not take a long time in God's word to realize that this world does not look the way God intended for it to look. And if you start talking about that, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be laughed at. You might be cussed out. Some countries it might be worse. But we recognize that our aim is to please God, not man. We recognize that because it is God who has chosen us, we must please Him. And that's the second point, that we've been chosen by God. It's alluded to there in those Old Testament passages. And in verse 4 as well, he talks about Jesus, that He's been chosen. You've been chosen by God. Not only have you been united to Christ by faith in Him and by faith in the gospel, God has chosen for you to be a part, not just of His salvation plan, but to be a part of His church. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race. That God, in eternity past, looked down at His people, at His creation, and He plucked people out and said, That one's mine. And he is mine. And she is mine. This church is mine. And I'm going to save them. No matter what it costs. And I'm going to sanctify them. And I'm going to bring them home. That he chose us. We're a chosen race. So often when we think about race. Race is a hot topic in our culture right now. It is a very hot topic. And some of that for, for legitimate reasons. Sometimes, you know. That's another conversation. (laughs) Race is a hot topic because we get very, very torn up about it. Because our identity sometimes is is wrapped up in it. And because we have, quite frankly, as humans, failed to treat each other equally, no matter what the color of our skin is throughout human history. But God here says that we are a chosen race. That your identity in Christ goes beyond the color of your skin. It goes beyond the country you were born in. It goes beyond the politician that you voted for. It goes beyond the job that you have. You have been chosen to belong to Him. And that defines you. We are to submit to Him. If we are chosen by Him, then who really runs this church? He does. God has chosen us, and so we must defer to God. As I said earlier, we we aim to please God, not man. If we are a church that has truly been set apart by God, we are a church that has been set apart for God. And so no matter what we're doing, whether it's our preaching, our teaching, our worship, our evangelism, whatever it might be, whatever program or activity of the church, God must be first because God is the one who has chosen us. We have got to orient ourselves around Him and around His will and His mission. We are royalty. Do you know that? We don't have a king here in America, but, but you are royalty. 
You know, and so next time your spouse makes you angry, just remind them that, hey, I'm royalty. You can't talk to me like that. I plan on trying that later. Um, if I'm not here on Sunday, then, you know, ask the queen. Um, so you are royalty. Peter says you are a royal priesthood because you have been united to the king of the universe. You are royalty. And so what does that mean? When you have an argument with a church member. What does that mean when we don't get along? You are royalty. You would not speak to someone who is royalty in a manner unbefitting their status. right? And that's not to say that we just let bad things happen and say nothing of it. But it is to say that we recognize the worth that each one of us has because we have been chosen by God. But there is no one in this church that is better than the other. Not a pastor, not a staff member, not a janitor, not anybody. But we all have inherent worth, not because of anything in us, but because he chose us. We are his possession. We belong to him. And God loves his church. Well, how do we know that? Because of Christ. Because we go back to the cross and he paid the ultimate sacrifice For his church. If you doubt Christ's love for you. If you doubt Christ's love for his church. Then go back to Calvary. He is jealous. And so I I believe that we have to be careful. The way that we talk about each other. The way that we talk about the church. For those of you that might use social media. That might be on Twitter. I would encourage you if you don't. Keep it that way. Uh, There's really no benefit to it. But sometimes there are fights that break out among Christians who probably don't know each other personally. And it is, you know, there may not be any curse words, but it is, uh, it, it is just as angry and just as vitriolic and just as shameful as non-believers arguing. And it does damage to the name of Christ. And more than that, it hurts God's heart. Those are his people. You're not just arguing with somebody who disagrees with you. You are arguing with a son, a daughter of the king. And shame on us for not being united because I'm convinced. Why does does all this matter? Because we live in a world that's so divided. We need to be the one institution that people can look at and say, that's what unity looks like. Out of this room, I guarantee you, we have people in this room. You vote for different people. You have a different job. You have different income levels. You have different favorite football teams. You have almost, you may not have anything else in common with the person sitting next to you tonight. Except for the one thing that really at the end of the day matters. That Jesus Christ has chosen you. That he has died for you. And that we as the church can say that all those other things really don't matter. Not when it's all said and done. And that we can be united in a way that the world just cannot understand. And that matters for how we treat each other. You know, we hear stories of people who have been broken by the church. Victims of sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Victims of people who have no business being ministers. And it's, it's sad. It's very sad. And it breaks my heart and we've got to do better. But I also hope and pray that, that those people find their way back to the church. Because we need the church. We have to be careful not disparage the bride of Christ. You know, 
I had a friend of mine one time put it this way that, you know, if you tell him, you can tell him all day long that you love him and that you care about him and that you're his buddy. But if you tell him that you hate his wife, he's not friends with you. As a married man now, I wasn't married when I heard that. I, it's not too hard to understand that. Yeah, you can come up to me and say, Neil, I think you're great, but Destiny, I don't know. Listen, just between you and me, we're going to have some problems. Like, we're going to have a lot of problems. And so how much more then will the God of the universe not take lightly the unnecessary and unkind words we might say? We have been forgiven. We can forgive much. We have been loved. We can love much. And that is what the church must be marked by. We are a people for his own possession. We are a holy nation. We resemble him in our character. We put him first because he has chosen us. And lastly, we are a people with a purpose. Peter says, You have been chosen that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are here to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We are not here to hang out. We are not here to talk about football. I don't discourage that. That's not the primary purpose of why we're here. Those other things may take place, but the ultimate aim, the ultimate reason why Sharon Heights Baptist Church exists right here is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, what Peter has in mind here is is probably worship. Probably what we just did, the singing of songs. But worship, as we know, also includes preaching and teaching the word. All of the New Testament teaches that the entire life of the believer is an act of worship. When you go to work tomorrow morning, you were there to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. To call myself out when I get behind the wheel of my car in mid-morning in morning traffic tomorrow, I'm there to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. That's hard. It's really hard. Some of y'all may not know how to drive that well. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's the other people. Maybe it's the Methodist church. Um, No matter what situation you find yourself in, you are there to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. You do it as a member of God's church, capital C, big church. You do it as a member of Sharon Heights. You know, some churches, um, I'm not submitting this as an idea, Jesse. I'm just throwing it out there. Some churches have bumper stickers that will tell you where those people go to church. I'm quite frankly, again, a little afraid of having that, you know, identifier on my car. Sometimes I get in a hurry. I don't really need somebody knowing where I go to church. Um, (laughs) Jesse might pull my bumper sticker. I'm just saying. (laughs) But we should be known by our love for each other. Should we not? We should be known. We should be proud to say this is our church. Because we are God's people. And I'm a part of this church because God shed his own blood. Not only to bring me back to him, but to bring me in the right place, in the right relationship, and right communion with his people. And I'm here to proclaim his excellencies. And it's because he brought me from darkness to light. Looking, uh, looking at that passage, looking at that phrase, and preparing for tonight. Some commentators noted that the phrase of bringing him to his marvelous light really in context of First Peter is about more than just being delivered from 
the penalty of sin, which is death, as incredible as that is, Peter really is reminding these people who are undergoing intense, incredible persecution. He's brought you into his marvelous light that will last forever. It's not just that he's forgiven you and saved you now. Praise God that that's happened. He's reminding them of what he told them back in chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, 4. Peter says, To an inheritance that is this, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Suffice it to say, we're not facing the same kind of trials they were, but we are facing trials. We are facing an increasingly post-Christian culture. We're facing a world that is increasingly hostile, not just to Christianity, but just hostile in general. People are just mean. People are mean. People are looking for a reason to be upset. And we have a chance as a church to, to stand out, to be that holy nation that God has called us to be. And when we get discouraged, Peter would set our eyes on the fact that God has also called us to that marvelous light. He has called us to that inheritance. He has called us to that undefiled, untouchable inheritance. We have a future. See, we have a purpose. We have a future. We will be with God forever. We belong to Him, and it will always be that way. No matter what happens to us in this world, we know where we're going. We know who we belong to. We know that we have a future. Ephesians 3.10, Paul writes that it is through the church the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Those rulers and authorities, it's the enemy. Paul uses similar language. He talks about Jesus leading a host of captives. Essentially what Paul is writing in that passage is that it is the church, Sharon Heights, it is Sharon Heights Baptist Church that God uses to rub the devil's nose in it and say, you're a loser. You've lost. These are my people. I have saved them. I'm sanctifying them. And I'm going to bring them home. And there is nothing you can do about it. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be reminded of whose we are. And that our mission, above all else, is to proclaim His excellencies. Whether that's vacation Bible school, whether that's this weekend's yard sale, whether it's Sunday morning worship, church, we are here to proclaim the excellencies of the God who chose us and saved us through the blood of his son. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you that we are here. Thank you for sharing heights. Thank you for these people. Thank you, God, that you save us, not just from our sin and from death, but you also save us to something. You save us to yourself. You save us into the eternal family of God. And you save us and you allow us in this life to be a part of your church and your body and these congregations, Lord, and how blessed we are. I pray that we see that with fresh eyes tonight, how blessed we are and how you have created us out of your goodness and mercy and you have brought each one of us here. It is not a random accident. And you have brought us here to proclaim your excellencies. I pray that we would be a committed church, committed to your glory, committed to doing your will, committed to making much of you to a world that desperately, 
desperately needs to see what is truly excellent, and that's you. I pray that you would use each one of us. I pray that we would not sit on the sidelines, but that we would be a church, that when we get to heaven, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.